Welcome back to Reformed Millennials, the podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice, this podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Cam Pitchers or Joel Shackleton have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the pod, Cam. How are you? Good, crazy. December, what already? 8th. Good. I can't wait until this year's over. It's been so good. <laughs> I want it to close off. Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I want to get to Christmas here. It's one of those, I don't know what your office is like, like post. It looks like underneath a Christmas tree right now. <laughs> they have a competition office-wide. Who can make their office or pod look the most Christmassy? Oh, okay. So it is quite... Um, animated or holiday as, yeah. as you should say yeah. right yeah i i feel like we have our christmas party or a holiday party every year usually end of november first week of december yeah and that i always just say christmas party holiday party once that happens i mean the year's over let's just yeah, let's, let's just, just move on. make it january 1st okay, but now we have you know call it you know, 16 17 more work days after and it's always like just everyone just grinding to get there. Even the phone calls you have with clients, they're like, I don't want to answer your phone call. And it's like, this yeah. is important. We have to get this figured out. And it's like, just talk to me in January. I can't. Everyone's just in that kind of limbo. Yeah. It's in the, weird. Those two, three weeks. And like no one wants to do something, but they have to do something. So here's some advice to people that run massive corporations that don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> Christmas parties should not be in November. They should be second week of December. That's hard though, man. Especially in, I, I would think in a event center rich places, I agree sure. for sure. But when you meet, like reach a critical mass and size for, so like for my, my firm, we had over 600 people at our holiday party this year, which is like a big number, especially when I compare that to 10 years ago for us. So like in terms of like getting venues figured out, I think obviously we book kind of like a year in advance type thing to secure something, but with the in, in Edmonton, advance, anyways. Still did it in November. Well, it, it's just again on the the timing of. Sometimes too, though, the thing is, if you push into December too far, then you got people taking off early and going on whatever. So I don't know. I don't think there's a perfect answer for that. But Are you're you right. Paying too much if everyone's it, going to have, Hawaii. Having, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to Hawaii, but the the general sentiment, I guess, is just I would rather have it closer to the actual holiday season just to have that feeling of like working towards something. Mm -hmm. I think everyone loves that feeling, right? Working towards that vacation, working towards. And then once you have something that kind of gives you that first feeling of 
it's the holidays. Yeah. I also feel like in Canada in general, I don't know, not everyone for sure, but I like anecdotally, I think we both feel this because we're huge NFL fans and we follow the U.S. markets and everything. Thanksgiving in the U.S. Like yeah. it just like I just get this like secondary feeling of like okay yeah it's really holiday season now. <laughs> yeah. We've hit U.S. Thanksgivings only six weeks till Christmas. I'm it's thinking about good. just getting rid of ours altogether <laughs> and adopting the United States time frame. I, I want to like get both. I mean, I love the dinners. Mm, so that's true. Yeah. So Cam, I have a bone to pick. Mm. I think children's birthdays. There's too many of them. We don't have enough kids, but this will be with your son's fifth birthday party. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, Owen. Mm. Uh, this weekend will be the fifth week in a row that I'm going to a kid under the age of 10's birthday party. That's your social circle's fault, not like that's you look in the mirror. That's your own fault. You need to isolate yourself away from more people. This is insane. <laughs> like, why? And you know what? I actually enjoy going to them, which is weird because you, you surround yourself with. 20 under six-year-old children Mm -hmm. and you're you're like you must be insane if you're enjoying it but it's good to see the people you know what's funny i I had this discussion with my wife and it's a weird little social thing that i've found and i'm sure other people experience as well and especially in this like the covid baby years here Mm -hmm. with our kids being young so we were at a birthday party two weeks ago and Everyone there, it was like the kids may or may not be friends or may or may not be like super close with each other, but there was 20 of them, but it was all about like the parents' social circle. Mm -hmm. So this, this kid was turning five as well. And so everyone that was there, it was all like, there were some, like I didn't know everybody there, but I would say like 50%, 60% of the parents and the adults that were there, I had previous relationships with and we were kind of talking at that. We're like, this is probably the last year of birthday parties because now obviously school age and stuff like that, where it's like the kids are going to start having, you know, their own friends and meeting kids at school in, in an aspect that is not controlled by us and creating relationships. And so we were just talking about that. And I was thinking about how interesting that is, that dynamic shift and that change, because now it's going to be, okay, well, what sports do you play and what friends do you have at sports? And then maybe the parents kind of know each other, but again, not really at then that young age. the drama really starts. Yeah. <laughs> but then the school thing too, like, okay, you can go and invite five kids from school or whatever it might be yeah. again. It's going to be all kids there and no parents or if their parents too come, you don't have that pre-existing relationship. So that just dynamic changes. Because I always find like, we have a couple of friends for sure. And I don't, it's fun always, but it's like we have a party around kids' birthdays and get together. And it's almost more for the adults than it is for, it is for or as much for the adults as it it's is definitely for, the kids. for the adults. And I'm finding um, it was okay for us to have all the adults over, same amount. Mm-hmm. But once you add a child from each one of them or two ch- children, our houses aren't big enough. Yeah, you, you need re-renting halls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah or the event these. center that I had my holiday party at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, that is the truest thing ever. But um, again, I, I don't hate hate it. It's just a little It's a little bit much, especially when you start to combine it with, 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 uh, with the Christmas season, which is obviously very busy. All right. Well, I think everyone will take that into account for next year. Thank for you. Your, for I appreciate that. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cam, uh, I wanted to... I, I didn't get you to read this, but mm. I did want to mention it because I think everybody who listens to this podcast needs to, to uh, read this article from Ben Thompson, which is uh, Regretful Accelerationism, which I think is a very confusing Yeah, title. let me expel or explain, sorry. 
or um, and spell for that. The matter. idea uh, it's it's a play on words because there's this idea techno accelerationism, which is effectively that we cannot go in reverse. The compounding effects of technology and capitalism mixed is this creation of society that is constantly marching forward, making life technically better or hopefully better and more advanced. And there is no going backwards. There's only going forwards and we need to deal with it. Um, this regretful accelerationism is in re regards to the internet. And um, Ben Thompson is the inventor of aggregation theory, which is platform economics. So mm -hmm. when you think about the big tech companies that are developing business models that are unfathomably profitable, he has created the business, I, I should say, defined the, the business model in which they are built upon. And a lot of um, Fortune 500 CEOs and technology CEOs are read his stuff in order to strategize their tech business model. Mm -hmm. And he has now commented on the idea of this, because it's been a big year in media. I think we can agree. When you think about the, whether it's um, sports all the way across to, to, to Netflix and, and um, the way in which Disney has, the stock has gone down 75% and then has rallied and then they, they're starting to make new, well, you're seeing fracturing of, of their, their agreements. The way in which it's, it's starting to redistribute itself is falling into this, this new model which Ben Thompson's been talking about for three or four years. And he's now made a new assertion, which is that he believes that the usefulness of the internet itself and to accumulate or aggregate media has now been reduced to a effective commodity. So there's no massive value in people that create content anymore because of the new innovation of, around AI. Mm -hmm. And over the last two weeks, we've seen multiple articles of people noticing that massive, whether it be Forbes, Bloomberg, Sports Illustrated, um, all of these outlets mm -hmm. that produce content are using AI-generated articles. Mm -hmm. With AI-generated, um, the people that wrote it are completely make-believe. And they're all produced by AI LLMs, which is crazy. We're noticing and identifying it, mm -hmm. but how far along, far away are we from it not being noticeable? And if that is the case, so when you say we're identifying it, it's that in the comment section, someone's saying, that "I'm has pretty to sure be that this was an yeah. this was an AI." We yeah. can't prove it, but we're pretty sure. And we're getting so close that people aren't even noticing it. And if we are getting to that point, once it becomes a commodity. It is no longer valuable. So now it's just a place to be. So now the internet is not going to be as important, which means we likely go somewhere directionally different, which is mm -hmm. interesting. He believes that you'll end up going, you'll, you'll live within the internet. It's the idea of Ready Player One mm -hmm. if you want to be numb and perhaps not engaged. Mm -hmm. And then you'll then retreat back to real life. And there will be a new area of opportunity to produce entertainment or a place of home for the human being who does live outside of this this world. And I know I'm not doing as good of a job here at describing this because it is a three-part article right. in which is it took 21 minutes to read. And I think that everybody should dive into it. It'll be aggregation theory is one of the, the, the most read uh, text strategy, um, we'll call it, Essays, commentaries, yep. commentaries ever. Mm -hmm. This will be maybe not as important as what 
that was for him and his career, mm-hmm. I think this will be something that people reference as on a go forward because his belief is that social media and um, that industry itself has effectively reached a peak. We are peak miserable on online <laughs> in terms of um, the divisiveness that it's creating. And once content becomes a commodity and it's unrecognizable between humans and, and mm-hmm. a bot creating something to engage us, mm-hmm. I think we start to reject and go another another direction because that isn't something that we want to consume. Sure, yes, it will be part of our diet, but I believe we've reached peak. And that's when he put, when he predicts something like that, I, I tend to obviously listen. You tend to change your understanding. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I'm I'm okay. I believe him. <laughs> He's someone that I would change my mind on things. Yeah. So yeah, <clears throat> that's interesting. Obviously, without reading the entire piece, um, maybe some of my thoughts are are addressed or the questions I would have would would be addressed through that. But I guess diving in to that one specific thing you're talking about with media outlets using these AI tools to create articles to put out to create content. I think the one thing with that that I don't necessarily, like I wouldn't care if it's an AI bot or not, is that if you're just reporting facts, like if I go onto the scores app right now and if I'm reading a game summary on the Lakers game last night and it's just talking about this is what happened this is the like these are the points and the stats in relation to it and here's the upcoming schedule and here what here's what happens all that is just stuff that like monotonous like no one the person who used to write that and type it out didn't want to do that anyways <laughs> no you know what I mean no but the Ben Thompson's of the world are going to he's creating content he's not, probably not going to have an AI I would could, think, at least no. in the short term, <laughs> be able to create his his opinion on the paper, and that's what people love. So, it, it, and that's what it, people are always going to love, and no different than for for sports or for mainstream news or whatever it might be. When you are, if you you can still be able to create a brand and create this following based off of how you share your thoughts, you're going to have to get better at it to stick out mm-hmm. and be really successful. You're going to have to be very unique. But I think there would still be a roadmap for that type I, of information. I, I do believe that too. And I and he goes on to talk about ad-supported internet mm. and how driving interest. And if you can just have ChatGPT, I don't know if anyone's tried this yet, but I have, mm-hmm. um, build a, a trip for me to Disneyland include places to stay, things to see, places to eat, and schedule it all for me. I'm traveling from Edmonton. Yeah. It can do that for you. Yeah. I actually shopped for my wife's Christmas present using ChatGPT instead of going through Google and trying to figure out the product. Mm-hmm. I asked for the best options within a price range, mm-hmm. and it gave me five options, and mm-hmm. with links directly to the website for mm-hmm. me to shop those products. Mm-hmm. And it was f- a significantly better experience where I don't have to dodge all of the ad-supported product. Mm-hmm. This is, in my opinion, disrupting what has been, I think, the source of the rage machine, which is all I want is clicks. How do I get people to click on things? Yeah. When you think about, and I th- I'll, I'll pose this to you, where do you think the happiest social media website is now? It's not TikTok, it's not Instagram, and it sure as heck isn't Twitter or X. You know where it is now? It's Facebook. That's where all the happiness is. It used to be in 2016. The cesspool. The cesspool of crap. Actually, YouTube is just as bad. Have you gone in the comments of YouTube? These oh, people yeah. are absolutely terrible. 
Facebook, on the other hand, now that they've gotten rid of all news and it's just you and your family and friends again. Isn't that just, in, uh, would that just be for us though? Like, what do you mean no news? Well, yeah, sorry for Canadians. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's no longer as bad as it once was. And I think that speaks to the fact that no one goes on it anymore. Why does no one go on it anymore? Because there's nothing that can trigger them. And mm. guess where they go? They go where they're triggered. Mm. They try to find things that make them upset, that rile them up, that get them engaged. Well, and it's also all of those platforms. I mean, Instagram maybe. Yeah, actually, Instagram's in the same. I mean, if I open up my feed right now, obviously the. You think people the watch CNN things. every day because they they. Well, that's what I mean. I want the news? But it's no. I guess that yeah, that might be a manifestation of how our entertainment hours are spent and what we are looking at because then I think you subconsciously maybe seek some of that stuff out or want to follow up on it. But like there were, there's things that bother me or intrigue me when I go, if you were to open up those apps, the YouTube reels or shorts, sorry, and Instagram reels, whatever it might be. And if you are ingesting those things, you are seeing sometimes things randomly again, Mm -hmm. that are just going to, you don't go in seeking it it seeks you out and then causes you to spend more time. Right, but you go back there because you know it's going to find you. 100%. I know that's the fact. I know that is the case. But again, like I might say, I'm going to go watch it. I want to watch a golf video for 25 minutes. But then the first thing that hits is take your pick something in something about john ron leaving the pga tour yeah or a housing housing market update for 24 and then i get into a spin and then i'm like i don't agree with that and then that that causes you to yeah. you totally forgot why you're even that there. person exactly you're like oh it's been half an hour and i haven't watched that i'm sweet still golf. sitting on the toilet i haven't watched that golf video that makes me feel better about myself no okay <laughs> but it, so it, I, I know we kind of dove into a very specific thing there but I will, I'll reserve my, I guess, opinion on the article until I read it in full. I think that actually would be a great, obviously, like you said, this seems like a piece or a, an opinion piece that is going to be referenced for a long time, much like the aggregation. So we should maybe come back to this as we see and, and reference yeah. Ben's, Ben's comments here as we continue. Is it, I mean, we keep talking about how the AI stuff or the, the effect that AI is having on everything is still it's very hard to measure as to like when we say that's not happening yet usually what that meant in the past was that's not happening for five years it's like now this might not be happening for six months like we don't know it's very hard to gauge or by christmas so (laughs) um i don't know if ai's gonna write all ai's AIs in holiday mode too (laughs) ask chat gpt right he's like i'll get back to you tomorrow i don't know i'm pretty sure that those holiday movies that that uh, Hallmark makes mm-hmm. is AI written. <laughs> There's just no way AI written and AI acted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those people that are, have you ever seen the compilation of all of the Hallmark movies? I love it. I know everyone watches it, but yeah. it's apt. Those people aren't real. Those are fake people. <laughs> it really does. Vanessa like Hudgens it. is the only real actor in all of the movies. They're all she's fake. in everyone. hundred percent. That's, that's the good stuff. Yeah. So over the last week, the markets have continued to kind of rally pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe now we're, we're starting to reach a point in which, and when you look at the the funding of, of T-bills and the money market fund flows, I'm pretty certain this has been become a little bit extended. In order to see it rally further, you're going to see, you need to see breadth. Mm-hmm. So breadth being 
it start to creep into the um, small caps. It can't just be driven by the large market cap businesses, the the mega cap seven. And currently right now you have the NASDAQ that's outperformed the S&P 500 by 19 or 20% over the last 252 trading days. That is quite the the outperformance. Mm -hmm. The last time it did this, it was the kind of 2020 area when we were all locked into our houses and we had no idea what was going to happen. And we assumed that all tech companies would end up selling all goods because we were never going to get out of our homes. Mm -hmm. But we're now back to that where we've seen a huge outperformance, largely driven by AI spending, CapEx. It's real money. It's just been condensed into one area. Um, I mean, over the long run, the NASDAQ 100 does tend to beat the S&P 500, but it's usually only by six points over a rolling year, not 19. So in my opinion, I believe we've gotten to a saturation point. It Mm -hmm. feels like it's in order to have another leg up, you're going to need to see participation from a lot of the underlying businesses that are less sexy. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see what the catalyst might would be for that. It, it has to be rates coming down even further. And when you listen to Powell and you listen to the Bank of Canada, the can- Canada might be a little bit less, more dovish, but dovish being more likely to cut rates in the future. Mm-hmm. I... I just don't see it in our numbers. I don't see it in employment, at least not soon enough in order to justify uh, the time frame in which the market is pricing it in. There's a lot of optimism about rate cuts next year, and I think it's a little bit overdone. I'm of the opinion that February is going to be bad for markets. I think it's going to be harder for investors, and the big tell is going to be the first couple of weeks of January, no doubt. So I'll be paying attention to that. It's, from a positioning point, very important for me. and. I'm just not as bullish as I was in October. Mm -hmm. It feels like we got a lot priced in. That November run was wild. So uh, take a breath, enjoy the Christmas season um, with higher stock prices Mm -hmm. and be be agile. In my opinion, we got to really be, for the investor that is self-investing, you got to pay attention over Christmas season. Mm -hmm. It's gonna, I think we could have things that change price quickly. there was a bunch of really interesting tweet threads about Japan. And for whatever reason, I've been talking about it a lot with people. But what's your take on the Japanese culture? Because I think culture passes through to um, investment thesis, the way mm-hmm. in which markets trade. I think it's incredibly important. I believe the reason why America and Canada and, and largely um, the UK trade so well is because they have the rule of law. Whereas in, in Japan, they have a different culture than that. Yes, they absolutely have the rule of law. If anything, um, they're one of the happiest cultures on the planet, but mm. they have a demographic problem. But they also have this, this ideology where they work until they die. Mm. Um, they don't allow bunk- bankruptcies, or it's, it's, it's equivalent to being incredibly shameful. to, to mm. So they yeah. run companies forever. So what's your take on the, the Japanese culture? <clears throat> well, everything that I've learned is either through my own drive to learn about a country after school, which wouldn't have been that high realistically. It would have all been very small little anecdotal things. But from what I recall in learning about the history of Japan, because I think that was actually a requirement at some point in our social studies when maybe in high school, but respect and like respect and shame, like you said, like those like mm-hmm. two feelings are like really important in terms of like respect for yourself and your family and your elders or your 
the people who you look up to, etc. So the amount of like that becomes first and foremost that there is everything is like formal and respectful and you take your time doing something and you do it right and you always look to improve like i think the most famous thing coming out of japan obviously from a production standpoint like kaizen or kaizen i guess how i'm not sure how everyone says it but continuous Otani. improvement yeah yeah <laughs> test tube um <laughs> athlete baseball player athlete um but i i think it's largely from what i've seen and heard and learned about the market or their their way of life their way of doing business efficiency doing things as well as possible respect but the like courtship period with doing something new can be much more drawn out and longer because again they although they were very efficient economy and production and one of the oldest civilizations i guess in the world too like there's a lot of things built in where you'd be like well they should be more agile or have more understanding of doing this but i think they they put a lot of care and and thought into how they're going to do something and what they're going to do Mm -hmm. and i think that line of thinking like permeates through the entire economy and into their population as well and there's not a lot of I haven't seen anyways like even if you you, you mentioned Shohei Otani like from an athletic standpoint too like you think about all the big stars that have come mostly in the baseball baseball's always there I would say it's their national sport I would think but anyways biggest most connection to North America in terms of sporting you've never seen a, a Japanese athlete come out like there's no LeBron James comparison Shohei Otani might be talent like as talented potentially at the end of his career as LeBron James is viewed but in terms of the his how gregarious LeBron is and the the platform that he has, how outspoken he is, how ridiculous he can be at times in terms of his social media presence and the what he represents in terms of taking like putting up his hand and saying I'll stand above everybody and, and say this and then come out and say it like there's no that doesn't really apply to the Japanese athlete and I can't really think of any. Well, it's their culture that is to be more. Reserved. reserved exactly and so like that's one thing too where it's like that's obviously a tone set at the top and you really don't have people who who stand out from that perspective and that's really interesting I, again thinking about how we are painting the entire country with that brush based on this conversation but how really you can pull out plenty of examples where that is how they have been obviously taught for years and how that there hasn't been a huge change in the last call it 34 like the millennial equivalent like the age group of millennials in in japan i don't think they've changed as much as we've changed i don't think their gen z has changed as much as 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 it has in north america so oh, it, it's interesting to we we always talk about those generational changes in the context of maybe north america and, and europe potentially but i think that doesn't necessarily apply to a you know, a country like Japan in the same degree. I'm sure there has been change, obviously. But. Yeah, no, totally. So, I mean, it might surprise people to know that the Japanese index has outperformed the S&P 500 this year. It's up 25, 26%. Was that on the back of them finally changing an interest rate for the first time? In- <laughs> I think it had a little bit to do that. Mm-hmm. But actually, it probably also might surprise people that it also has, over the past three decades, its earnings growth has far exceeded the S&P 500 as well. While that multiple of earnings has been 
significantly lower, meaning the stock prices don't do as well. Their earnings are there and growing faster than the United States. Kaizen. <laughs> exactly. Um, at least from my perspective, it's of continuing and growing interest for me. It is wildly under allocated to mm. in Canada and the United States and just globally. And it's mostly because people are terrified of the demographics. It's overbanked. It's got a an issue with with um, um, th- their financial sector just being not as profitable. And that's largely because of the interest rate and the and the yield curve. It's hard to make money if you borrow at zero and lend out at zero. Like where's the where's the margin, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm increasingly very excited. They have a huge amount of, um, of work being done on on EVs mm-hmm. and the, the parts that go into those cars. They are a leader in, in many respects. So very interesting to me. I, I'm my my brother's dating a Japanese girl mm-hmm. and she we, we went for dinner last night for my mom's 60th birthday. Shout out Carrie. Shout out Carrie. Um, and she mentioned that there's a problem in Japan where they there's a lot of suicide. Mm. But they have a really high, there's a lot of meaning that they derive from their life. But they also have, they don't have a ton of drug addicts, people on the street that are homeless. That's not something that exists there, mostly because everyone seems to have a job. And they derive meaning from that job. And that in of itself seems to be like a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily have that. But they also, on the other hand, have or experience a lot of suicide, which I thought was fairly interesting. I don't know what's better living on the street, being a drug addict or committing suicide, I think they're both terrible oh. and they're probably equal. And they're probably sourced on the like same type of like mental health issue. Totally. hundred percent. Right? Um, that has to be dealt with. It's obviously what that, what the public facing of that is. So, I mean, suffering in silence, quote unquote, potentially or in both ways yeah. in both. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's probably a lot of parallels as, as well, but it just presents itself differently. I couldn't agree more. It's just, it was an interesting dynamic where, they experience that loneliness or that that mm. that sadness differently and it and it and it shows itself differently yeah. on the statistics side yeah and i had this long drawn out argument about our situation not with her but with other people and it's yeah. so difficult to deal with and all the time we we assume that if you had meaning you might not be in that depressed category it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be the case so mm-hmm. i'm not sure we'll ever have a, a solution to any of these things but with any luck we might um moving on i want to talk about some sports well i mean big on the, sports on the japanese route talk about shohei, shohei otani otani he has been future stealing j. some of the future j let's hope they he's been kind of stealing the the headlines here obviously baseball is in their off season but they're i believe it's kind of interesting. They all get together for winter meetings in one spot, like all the owners and I think the GMs and all that Winnipeg? kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Nashville, I think. Uh, Winnipeg just missed the cut. Um, <laughs> it's interesting, though, on that. I, I was thinking about that from like the getting the business done standpoint. Like even NBA kind of has that now a little bit because they do their summer league in Vegas. And then a lot of the teams, obviously, like of their executives are there and a lot of dealings get done all at one time. It's kind of just an interesting concept of like kind of bringing everyone together and then like agents are there and players don't obviously come because obviously agents just do all that work and call them and say, this is what we've, these are the offers that we have. But it's kind of makes it, it can make it, I think, very interesting from the sports fan perspective because you kind of have this concentrated time where there's a lot of news at least being generated, whether or not there's action or not, I guess is another story. But anyways, he's been 
he's become a free agent. Obviously, if you don't know who he is, essentially the... If you don't the, know who Shohei Tani is... You're under a rock a little bit. A little but, bit. But anyways, I mean, massive Japanese star. Came over here in his early 20s, started playing for the Los Angeles Angels. He picked the West Coast for obviously specific reasons in terms of there is some Japanese population uh, there, time zone-wise for... Like exposure. comfort, yeah, exposure, some comfortability. I think with the, I think he had, had talks with that franchise for quite a long time. So, but anyways, he's hit the open market, and so he's he's up, looking to get a contract somewhere in the range of five hundred to six hundred million dollars, which would be obviously a record setter. He's also he's a unicorn. They call him a unicorn for several different reasons. Number one, he can pitch like a number one ace starter, and he's a designated hitter for the most part. He can't play the field, but has led the league in home runs the last two years uh, in the American League. He haven't seen this since Babe Ruth, so from 1920s. And as we know, baseball has probably the longest history in, in North America, and he is the best of the best of the best from a projection standpoint. Can't get any better than this guy. So obviously all of the big market teams that you can think of are making their pitch to him over the last week. He's supposed to be making a decision heading into the weekend. And yes, our lone Canadian team, Toronto Blue Jays, are in the mix. Potentially a favorite if you talk to some or well, if, you, if you're if you reading some of the, the experts and pundits. And I'm, I'm, I'm hearing side. he's basically... The Jays are always used as a stalking horse. They can be for sure. I, now, it's interesting that I think that their leg up potentially could be that they would be willing to pay $50 million more or whatever it might be. Like they might say, okay, maybe you love the city and the brand and all that stuff. Again, what the Toronto can represent in terms of your, how it's marketed. It's a, it's a melting pot city. Everyone loves Toronto in terms of the, it doesn't, I don't think you can talk to any baseball, basketball player from the States. A large, large majority of them love going to Toronto. Nightlife, culture, all that kind of stuff is great. What that can represent being the, the lone Canadian team too, like marketability in in Canada. I think we have a we obviously have a Japanese population Absolutely. in yeah. Canada, but all of that is again money. Him feeling comfortable where he's living. Again, I think if if you go back to the fact that I said you know compare him to LeBron, he's not this gregarious, um, huge, over the top personality. You can pr- like not that he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to walk around in any city very no. easily without being noticed. But well, like in Toronto, like it's a little bit tall and Japanese. <laughs> but it's a little bit less. Like you're not in the New York market. You're not in the LA market in terms of the media attention, etc. Like Toronto will cover him like crazy. That Toronto is one of the biggest cities in North America, obviously. But from the standpoint of Toronto in the context of the MLB or or Toronto in the context of the NBA, you can kind of go under the radar a little bit just because the sports talk shows and all, all the pundits. Americans don't cover not, Canada. They don't. So that might actually be appealing to him in terms of... Leave me alone. Can get Yeah, to a degree, as much as possible. So, I mean, and I don't know his line of thinking, obviously, but I just, I'm hypothesizing that. So anyways, but the, the contract at the end of the day, it's going to be somewhere between five and $600 million for X number of years. That's all good. And... From the team's perspective, this is obviously going to be the l- largest contract ever handed out. And the, I guess, the drawbacks of this contract, this player that has been discussed, is saying, well, yeah, he's been this amazing hitter and amazing pitcher for 
three or four years now and being able to do both for the most part. He is he injured himself last year, isn't going to be able to pitch next year. It's essentially taking a year off and is only going to be hitting. But a guy like that who plays that much, how is he going to break down? Is that really a good investment to put five or six hundred million dollars into one player on your roster? And we've talked about that, how like one player in basketball is different than one player in hockey, which is different than one player in the NFL, mm-hmm. and how much impact that one person can have. And baseball, I think it's not as dramatic as obviously the NFL and the NBA. It's probably it's more of an impact than a single player does has in the NHL, likely. But again, it's like, okay, that's a lot of money. That's how the MLB salary cap works. You obviously can pay over the cap, then you have a luxury tax that you have to pay. It's a lot of money for this, these owners to be paying out. So what does he represent in terms of a return on investment for non-baseball related stuff? And this guy, the obviously I talked about before, alluded to Japan's national sport being being baseball. They don't care if it's the Toronto Blue Jays or the Miami Marlins or the Los Angeles Angels or the, or the Dodgers or yeah or or the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. I think is the <laughs> farm team for the Blue Jays. They are going to support their guy and yeah. they're going to ball out and pick the amount the economic impact for that team in relation to the the team merchandise the team following is i'm assuming measurable i'm someone has probably done some kind of some of the math on this some of the math on that i think i quoted a couple of things here before we started cell phone plans in japan <laughs> yeah <laughs> who knows what this could mean for rogers exactly the, like the ultimate owner of the blue jays and the, and the media outlet but the what this guy represents in terms of a marketing uh, brand itself is kind of unfathomable when you compare it to what else there is in the MLB right now. We've talked before about their the MLB being the fourth largest growing, like out of the big four kind of thing. Like them and the NHL are kind of grouped together in terms of saying like they're kind of middling. But NHL, I think, can kind of take a backseat a little bit and say like, we never were a big, like we were never in the top three. We've had to grow from nothing to this. Whereas baseball has been around for, I guess, mm-hmm. the national pastime. And they had been largely losing out on the demographic battle for a number of years it's and Facebook. losing it to the, yeah, to the, to the NFL and the, and the NBA. And I don't think one player like this changes, any, changes anything uh, dramatically with that. But we have seen with, they had some rule changes last year. In relation to creating more offense, well, uh, shorter Jays, games. I'm watching Jays games. Well, and so like that's what that can create for the average fan mm-hmm. uh, in in Canada. But I'm saying like fandom in general, the injection of a player like this, and they've also had, again, largely baseball has always been a you get drafted, you play in the minors for four or five years, you over ripen essentially, and then you get up to the big club. You're seeing guys come in at 18 years old, 19 years old, electric players guys who have never been able to throw the ball this hard or hit the ball that hard or whatever it might be. They're injecting these guys in. Maybe they're not perfectly ready for old school baseball, but their baseball is essentially said now we can't rely on old school baseball. No one likes old school baseball anymore. Mm-hmm. Only the guys we that are 45, jets. 50, 60 years old. Exactly. So we need to create more. It hasn't been electric since we had Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Yeah. Get the drugs back in 75. Yeah. Get the days. drugs back in. But it's, this is going to be very, he's supposed to make a decision before the end of the weekend. So obviously, yes, you and I both have our fingers crossed for the Jays because that will ignite cool. some more fandom again around that team. And obviously all of Canada for the most part supports, supports that team. So that would be great for us. But for baseball, again, this is a great 
headliner story for them to have in their off season. And I think they're again with the amount of young blood they've been inter- injecting into the the league itself. This is just I think one of potentially more stories coming out in or more stories to follow in future years in terms of these these young studs because there's so much excitement around them and they do they have been able to create more opportunity for them to shine yeah. which is a really important thing you know i feel like the saudis need to get into baseball <laughs> because they would probably pay Atani two billion dollars well it's be interesting to see what what their first play will be can on he that play market. golf he might be able to because that's another they pretty just big paid sport 500 million for john rom I'm guessing he doesn't sell as many jerseys as Otani. <laughs> he might not. Um, he doesn't care. <laughs> so uh, earlier on in the year, we were discussing the live business plan to back their way into being the owner of the PGA Tour mm-hmm. and the live being the the Saudi investment fund. Um, and it seems like they had come to some sort of agreement and then it's silence for six months or five months or three months, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And we're going through it as like probably the quiet period of the PGA tour. It's off season time. Yeah. And it seems as though the, the live tour and the Saudi um, fund has grown impatient with the pace in which the negotiations are moving at. Um, it's almost as though Patrick Cantlay is representing the PGA tour. And they are dropping an absolute cannon and effectively nuking the PGA Tour by taking their rawest talent, their a top three player in the world, mm-hmm. John Rahm, the Spaniard, and he just signed a $500 million plus deal to go to the Live. The Live new, apparently it's in conjunction with a new rules um, sig- sign as well. I don't know what that's going to actually entail. I'm, I'm assuming they're going to four rounds. Yeah, because he, he came out publicly as saying when there was interest before, he's like, I'm not going because I want to be able to play traditional golf. I want to play I think the cut thing, obviously, maybe is not a big, a big as a deal or a negotiation piece anymore because the PGA has now instituted their elevated events mm-hmm. where there is no cuts, cuts. as well. Yeah. So it's kind of a maybe a trend thing that's happening from that perspective. But but yeah, you're right. He he did come out. They're for sure playing say, four rounds. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm guessing they're also gonna. They're not going to be doing a um, shotgun start. I'm. <laughs> there's that's just not going to happen, mm-hmm. and that's fine. That's okay. I, I'm I'm of the opinion that this has toasted the positioning of the PGA Tour now, and I mean even Rory, Rory McIlroy on that. He was on that phone call last night, mm-hmm. and it. He basically said, he's like, well, we're going to have to change the rules for inclusion into the, the Ryder Cup for the European Tour team because... I'm not not bringing John Rahm. I'm not, not bringing John Rahm. <laughs> yeah. And that's just a reality. You, you've, yeah. you've, you've, they've neutered the PGA Tour with all the right players. They 1 million percent are overpaying for these guys, mm-hmm. but they do not care. And that has been my position for a year and a half. It's that you don't... They have unlimited money against not unlimited money. And that is a very tough position to be in. Mm-hmm. So so if they win, let's just fast forward five years. Sure. If they win, what does that look like for them? I don't know. I, I, I don't have the creativity to, to be able to predict what the leagues or the, the tours look like. 
I don't know what the live has to be. I, I don't know if they've created significant or sufficient amount of, of interest in their, their golf league mm-hmm. to actually sustain itself. Yeah. Um, I'm of the opinion that it probably has to go back to the PGA tour and maybe the live does exist. Maybe they have events. I think they need more events in Europe and the middle East. Yeah, we talked about that. Absolutely. Yeah. That has to happen. I think yeah. it needs to be more of a global league rather than it being predominantly in the United States. I don't believe having one major in Europe is sufficient enough. It mm. needs to include a more worldwide major. All of those things, I think, will be integrated over the next five years. I'm just, I think that the Saudis will now own the tour and it will be forever changed because of that. It's going to look a lot more like soccer and or football, however you want to mm-hmm. determine it. So that's just, I don't know whether it's good, bad, or otherwise. My brother is brokenhearted over this and but he's a traditionalist in all respects. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of people I know that are also super excited about it or they just want it to be right. I feel like I'm talking my book here. Um, and I'm optimistic. I mean, I've always been a major. I pay attention to majors, but mm-hmm. I am somebody who always tunes in for the Thursday game or Thursday, like first first round. Yeah. I want to see where everyone's positioned. Mm-hmm. I, I pay attention pretty closely. I don't watch every every week but mm-hmm. i absolutely am paying attention every week and mm-hmm. it's i mean you know blaine hutton is because he's gambling on it so <laughs> i i am of the opinion that this is short-term bad long-term good i still hold on to that truth the more money and the more interest in the sport because it has grown quite significantly is 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 it makes me happy i like to see that golf is becoming more integrated into culture mm-hmm. with all that being said there's nothing but bad things happening on the golf ball front, which is the rollback <laughs> yeah. that they're instituting from the top. It's so tone deaf. They don't have a clue what's going on. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the long-term. Well, is it a 10? I think 20, is it 2030 they're, they're, they're going to institute the golf ball this? Back because Rory McIlroy hits it 345 yards every, every time. He mm-hmm. flies it. 315 mm-hmm. and that makes the large majority of golf courses a pitch and putt for him let's all assume we're not rory McIlroy, yeah which I, is a fact i'll say like why wouldn't you just institute something at the tour level for yeah. on like equipment like on like the driver or on the iron like on the actual things that hit the ball already limited the driver it's all the advancements are coming in the ball so mm. the reason why people are hitting it further has nothing to do with that new tailor made you got because mm-hmm. that's limited all the tailor-made drivers so you're saying is to try don't, to hit. Don't use the Wilson staff balls anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, you probably do. There's a bunch of posts talking about pro or pre-prohibition uh, golf balls yeah. going for like five hundred dollars a yeah. dozen because <laughs> of the new rollback. No, it's it's the the driver itself. All the advancements are coming in how straight you hit it. Right. So it, it reduces distribution mm-hmm. of bad hits. And the golf ball is distance and also in spin control. And it's increasing the distance every year, it seems. Mm-hmm. And the rollback keeps us either where we are at or 20% less distance. I don't know the numbers quite yet. but Because mm-hmm. isn't the argument about or that a lot of golf course developers are complaining about this because it's like we are... Well, old golf courses. The golf course that I play out of is 101 years old. Yeah. It, if I start hitting it 380 yards straight, it's not exactly set up in a way that not it was even close. It's yeah. just becoming too easy, and that is a problem, no doubt. It's a problem, but like, let's get there. I still can't break par every time. 
mm-hmm. tell you that for free. <laughs> like not even close. Get me 20 yards from the hole. I'll screw it up. Yep. Yeah. Still going to bogey. <laughs> so it um, is It is weird how this is like an all-encompassing rule change. It's stupid. And to just take this back at a 10,000-foot level, what has what good has ever come from like holding Yeah, look what happened to back. baseball. Like not great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's a. I you mentioned just off the cuff there, just about how it's good, how golf is growing and getting more popular, and I think that actually is happening. I've re- read a few articles stating how, essentially, like new starts into sports at the grassroots level at kids, it's like golf and tennis are seeing like huge up- huge upticks, and which is interesting. Are struggling, and teams are struggling. Yeah, so the and the trad- so football is having a struggle. Just I would say that's kind of twofold. Like it's not necessarily. They have a great structure in the states in relation to grassroots football. Obviously, it's like through the schools, essentially, for the most part, right? But it's the the fear of parents getting kids into a sport that's has a lot of injuries and issues from that perspective. And then, yeah, the team sports in general, baseball, hockey, uh, basketball. Basketball has definitely seen uptick, but not to the same degree as the influxes we've seen in golf. Well, basketball's and not a team sport. <laughs> yeah. That was a joke. It depends is. who you ask. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on, on the golf and tennis front, it is very interesting to see that there has been such an increased level of participation, which is great. I personally think it's important to... I played both golf growing up, so like playing an individual sport and a team sport. I think it's, it's great to learn those two dynamics, learn more about yourself, learn more about working within a team. But... I don't know. Again, I, I, I think the PGA or golf in general received an uptick over the last call it 18 months in this whole drama because of the because of that, because of the storylines around it and the drama around what is going on and people like sound bites going back and forth between players. And and now it feels like, again, we, we left that Canadian tour or sorry, the Canadian Open event was when in the summer when we highlighted it because that agreement came in we have a memorandum of understanding between the parties and we're going to work towards something that is all encompassing essentially to be able to let live like at first it was probably like let live do their little live thing but we're still going to have control and obviously like you said it, it seems very clear that those negotiations behind closed doors have not probably been going as smooth as they should be or they've been going slow and or the wrong direction and so i think it'll be interesting to see if this this rom news kickstarts any other players leaving as well <laughs> because well, they're all going to think they're going to miss out on the bag and that's well and that yeah that's the thing is because at some point there will be a critical mass on the live side saying well we got enough we don't need you we're good we're fine with our product now or with our players yeah but i think it will be it will be incumbent on live now if they have rom let's say they add two or more or more or two more high-profile players where they have, I would say they would have a Who's roster. Next? Oh, I, I mean, the guys who have always been rumored, like the Cantleys and the Shoffleys and... Money hungry, eh? Yeah. Guys who can't win. <laughs> Just kidding. Cantley, I guess, wins. But anyway, but guys exactly thinking like, well, I this is too good of... If Rom's doing it and we're moving towards a, a, a position where we're all going to be allowed to play in the... Ma- or we're already allowed to play in the majors anyways... Maybe the other thing that's important to me from a legacy standpoint is being able to play in the Ryder Cups and President's Cups and that kind of stuff. Okay, well, that looks like it's moving in the right direction. I don't want to miss out on my big payday because I'm never going to earn that much, even never. with the elevated amounts in the PGA Doesn't Tour. Matter. And it's that much more work to do that in the yeah. PGA. 
Um, now, some people might rest on, like, I think Rory would be very traditionalist in saying, like, I want the grind. I want to be viewed as the person who did this and I mean, he stood doesn't, up. He doesn't go to all the events, so. I'm just saying, like, that would be, that could be a mindset of some people. But I think Liv will get to a point where it's like, well, now we have this collection of 10 or 12 players that we would say would battle against, like, the Brysons and Brooks and DJs. I think he's kind of, give, he's got taken his money and, and run for the most part. He's but. Tired. But if they have a, enough competition there and they're saying, like, we're kind of good, it will be incumbent on them to see a change in their viewership and the following of their league. Because I think we can both agree that, at least anecdotally, from anyone that we talk to in our circles, and we, I think we're both, we follow golf quite a bit, I didn't watch more than 30 seconds of the YouTube. Um, like it would have been streamed on YouTube all year for for us in Canada being available to see it. I think in the States there was one channel that was actually carrying, they had some rights or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if that, if that, if their production methodology stays the same and they don't uptick, like how, again, I know they have unlimited money, but at some point they're going to say, this is not like the ROI is not making sense. And that's not this year. I'm not saying it's this year, but they have to let it. When is that going to happen? Yeah. You have to do something to the tune of what the UFC did. Because that's yeah. the only one sport that I've seen start from nothing yeah. and become incredibly popular. Mm -hmm. When you look at the numbers of what Dana White paid for the UFC and then created this, he marketed it, built it up, mm -hmm. and created this this massive new event, mm -hmm. this new sport effectively. It's not new, it's new old. Mm -hmm. But effect, it created this, this incredible... Um, tour of, of fighting mm -hmm. I my opinion you have to start with a TV show and that's what they did the UFC coaches yeah TV that was very was good great. I watched I th that show I think I think when I you have a like fighting when you have a bunch of guys that are willingly going in to beat the hell out of each other <laughs> yeah usually that produces a little bit more personality content totally. for the show <laughs> like I don't know if following around these fought, the guys who have been paid up front too right like I mean you're talking about Maybe we just re bring back the big break. Well, but the thing is, like, I think the the big dynamic difference in, in what we're talking about here is UFC coming from nothing, growing mm -hmm. their entire sport. Gol these golf guys are already, like, they've already been paid. Rom just got paid $500 million. All those UFC guys were working a job and then doing the UFC thing on well, the side. Rom gets his own team. Okay. Huge. You saw the huge trade, Matt Wolford. Taylor Gooch. <laughs> that was that was a joke too. But Taylor Gooch has his own team. You yeah. have Bryson who's got his own team. So now they have to go and set out some sort of this is me I'm I'm kind of riffing here. Mm -hmm. You 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 have to have tryouts for the team. Okay. In order to get on the team mm -hmm. and to compete. Mm -hmm. And they end up picking whoever wins. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's big break style. You had Two glove Tony and whatever, mm -hmm. but that could be something yeah, if, that generates if some enough, interest. If you put enough money on the line, like, or if the, you know, if you win and get onto these certain yeah. teams, there's more money. It'd involved, be so whatever. much better. They should have an amateur team too. That would just be so fun. <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's plenty of things. ideas there for sure. I, I just at the end of the day, they need to capitalize on now having the talent. Yeah, you, enough of a talent pool because before again, even in some of their players Smith. that moved over had not performed or weren't showing up to it. Like, obviously we're just going to the events and showing up because they had to, and we're literally doing nothing in between. Yeah. You could tell. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, well, if you increase the competition level and increase the going to these guys and saying, you know, in order for this to actually work 
and for those checks to continue to cash, we need to now start flipping from being a disruptor to being a revenue generator Mm -hmm. and creating more of a following. Because if we don't, then this is not sustainable. And that's just the truth. So again, the next we're in, you had mentioned off season right now, PGA is just hanging on to the Tiger Woods comeback (laughs) story. Um, Hopefully, obviously it would be great to see him back out there and competing again because that is um, our that's all our childhood. That's all we Nothing want. Nothing I want more than Tiger winning another major. But you know this this Rom news is huge, and especially for someone who has essentially done a 180 from the beginning on his stance on leaving. So yeah, he did say his life wouldn't meaningfully change for 400 million. 500 million, million. though. It's, that it's different. Extra bit. They yeah. must have given him a jet, <laughs> um, an island in the. You got any uh, recommendations? Uh, not really. I guess just a watch. I, um, Marquez Brownlee, um, the, the, the cyber truck, the cyber truck did review. You watch that? I did. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. It was actually, I love watching his reviews. I obviously respect the way he goes through things. It's also very relaxed in the way he produces everything. Yeah, he's the best. You don't feel like you're being sold something or whatever. It's very, he, his tone of voice, the way he edits it as well is not, it's not overproduced, over edited. It's no. just pretty. It's very natural as he moves through reviewing something, which is I find enjoyable to watch, especially with something that is completely outside of my scope of understanding, like a Cybertruck or a vehicle in general. Let's be honest. But so it, I think it was about 35, 40 minutes or whatever he runs through the entire vehicle and obviously test drives it, etc. And so I thought it was an interesting watch, especially you see enough of the especially on X, obviously, how much uh, positivity there is around it and just the hype and what it looks like and what it could be. I think it was, it was a pretty cool review. And if this vehicle becomes the norm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, going, I'm just going to be Uber. I'm just Ubering from now on. <laughs> I can't drive that thing. It's, I, you know, obviously, it feels very prototypey, even the way it's been rolled I mean, out. It just feels in terms very prototypey. <laughs> It is prototypy. That is stupid. That vehicle is ugly. It's dumb. The materials used are insane. Tell, you know what? Maybe tell us how you really feel. I can't. I. You know what? I put my foot in my mouth. Time and time again with them. With, yeah. with Elon Musk. Let's see. I'll let's see if that thing starts showing up all over the place like the Model Threes have. Mm-hmm. Guess you know what? what? Yeah. Good for you. I just don't buy it. Um, my my recommendation will be. Watch working on Netflix. Barack Obama goes through. Mm. Um, he kind of goes and talks to people up and down the, the social class. And my wife made a really good, or at least in my opinion, she made this. This uh, she she noticed that Barack Obama can change his tone and his his the way in which he talks to people based on who they are. He's a chameleon, and he it's mirrors. incredible yeah. to watch. He is such his. His social EQ is so high that he might be the greatest conversationalist, the most kind-hearted person when needed. He can change. He can be funny on command. He can be thoughtful, and everybody when when he walks into a room, they just glow up. It's unbelievable to watch. So what you're saying is he's an unbelievable actor. Yeah, he is, and it's the reason why he's still beloved today. Mm-hmm. After eight years as president, I can not. I can say for almost a guarantee that after eight years, Stephen Harper isn't loved like Barack Obama, even relative on a relative scale. 
Justin Trudeau probably won't be. Closer to, but probably won't be. Donald Trump definitely won't be. I just, <laughs> I'm constantly amazed by it. I, George Bush Sr. and Jr. weren't. Mm. Clinton isn't. He's just, he's built different. He is, for all of, you can, you can name a million things that he might have done wrong, but I, I still am, inc- I'm always amazed by how high his EQ is. It's just Well, phenomenal. I think that's the piece that is why his ability to stay relevant and um, on average liked or respected at the very least mm-hmm. by most people, obviously, again, go through some states in the U.S. Yeah, sure. not going to have yeah. the same love. But the his ability to have that social EQ or IQ in general in regards to his the way that he presents himself a lot of his issues were behind closed doors like you'd have to like really dig into learning about the big things he did wrong there weren't these sound bites every day you couldn't get issues like even with biden who has been largely viewed as obviously a return to normalcy in terms of sure his like again yeah, you can falls him to, downstairs so exactly exactly right. so there's like he's got toilet there's, paper on his foot like, <laughs> there's none of this embarrassing stuff that's <laughs> happening with, or none of that kind of embarrassing stuff happened with him at least to the you know not to the same degree and to be fair i mean obama got out trump came in biden's been in we, we've been in an age of of clips and memes and everything yeah. in this last 10-year stretch that is pretty unprecedented in comparison as well to even when Obama yeah. was in office. But I would agree with you, his his ability to be a chameleon, his, his ability to appear to relate to everyone and find a common thread and be able to express thoughts and then get those get thoughts back out of someone who may not be on the same level in he's, background or schedule he's going or whatever. talking to people that are taking care like they're they're old folks home yeah. service providers they're working at grocery stores mm-hmm. regular americans like for yeah. real yeah not and it's really hard because like you he would be viewed as being coming from being a regular american yeah but then once you get that status it's very hard to yeah, then go back the back. other direction yeah and he does it with such class he is i don't care if you're right or left, he's just cool. The only <laughs> meme that I, I remember from his presidency is the one where he's sitting courtside at a LeBron James game when he was at the Heat, playing for the Heat. Yeah. And Biden's next to him, and he's with his wife, and Biden's with his wife. And um, he's, like, sitting back in his chair like this. <laughs> and LeBron goes and he dunks it. And they shoot over to Obama, and he's sitting there like a proud dad. <laughs> and he's just with an unlimited amount of, of swag sitting in his chair. It's just unbelievable. He's, he is to the presidency like Michael Jordan is to basketball. He was just not in a sense cool. of how great he was, but how cool he is. Cool. Yeah. You know, and, and you never get one over on, on Michael Jordan. You know how, um, who's the golfer that wears his shoes? Um, Keegan Actually, Bradley. They're oh, like best friends. Yeah, or they yeah. golf a lot together anyway. Yeah, yeah. And Michael Jordan's never beaten Keegan Bradley. And... I mean, obviously, he's, a, he's <laughs> yeah, like a top 30 not, player yeah. in the world. Yeah. And Keegan Bradley says to, to Michael Jordan on some show, he's like, you've never beaten me in all the rounds that we played together. I'm, I'm constantly taking money off of you. And, and Michael Jordan's like, yeah, but you're wearing my shoes. Mm-hmm. And you, he always went up to you because he's cool. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Obama. Anyway, that's what my recommendation is. It's on Netflix. Give it, show, give it a check out. All right. So we'll talk to you next Friday, one of our last episodes, probably before Christmas break. 
we'll we'll give you an update on that and have a lovely week everyone all right